Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of CareerGig and the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to adapt your events to be more virtual in a marketing environment that is in continual fluctuation. With the massive changes that COVID-19 has brought to the world of corporate and association events, many companies have scrambled to make to adapt to make them virtual with mixed results. Some organizations, however, have found a way to innovate and create great experiences to, despite the limitations. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Mark Michelson, CEO of CX Talks. First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about CX Talks and what you do there? Sure. Um, CX Talks was started as a local event in Atlanta, Georgia, around six years ago. And uh, we intended it, uh, the first day we did it, it was just uh, uh, for an association called the CXPA. And so it's about customer experience. And the idea that we came up with at the first meeting was to have 10 different speakers give 10-minute talks each. So we didn't really call it CX Talks at the time. It was just an event idea. But there was such good enthusiasm from that event uh, that we decided to invite other associations to participate in the idea of creating a full-day event. We got uh, 18 different associations together, all of them very engaged in customer experience, but from different angles. Um, as you know, customer experience has a pretty diverse um, discipline uh, sets, if you will, anything from store design to product design to CRM, uh, you can go into voice a customer, yeah. etc. So from that first meeting, um, where we had 18 associations, we just did a head count around the room and it was like, gosh, if we just got their average number of people that could come from each of the associations, uh, we would have like 500 some people. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was kind of funny because it was laughable, but it was also scary because we still wanted to do it, but at some point, we couldn't do it on a volunteer basis anymore. Um, there had to be, when we, when we plotted it out, we had meals involved, we had space involved, AV systems, a whole process of things. So I said, I'll take that on within my association management company, because uh, I've started a few associations. I took it on under that uh, banner and under that company. So someone had to sign the bills. <laughs> so I had to pay the pay the bills and uh, sign the contracts, and so I ended up doing that. As time went on, we grew the uh, the event into other markets, and we always intended it to be the local market um, sort of uh, bridge, uh, a time for people to come together in a local market like Chicago or Dallas or Atlanta, um, and get to know each other because there's so many people that do customer experience now, but they may not know others from other industries or other disciplines within their own city. So that was our goal. And Great. Yeah, so, so that was the background. And we were really doing quite well with it. You know, the past uh, four years or so, every year we would add a new market. This year we were going to be in Seattle on June 12th. 
at Microsoft's headquarters. Um, they were going to actually have it on their property. And, uh, of course, the world changed uh, right. back in March. We knew it was, you know, winds about it was coming down in February, but March closed everything. Um, so that's where the pivoting and agility came into play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that and, and how you've adapted CX Talks to the current landscape. So um, unlike some organizations that jumped in right away and, and tried virtual events as soon as they could plan them, you took a little bit of time to assess the best way to approach things. How did taking a step back help you? Well, I, I think it helped because I'm able to learn more about the different technology stacks that go into it. Um, number one. And the second thing is, is, is everyone sort of rushed to do what they were already doing in the real world and just trying to put that same event on in a virtual uh, realm. And I, I just felt that it was getting to be just all vanilla and very kind of boring in the same, you know, format all the time. Um, and I signed up for a ton of these uh, webinars and online events. And just even learning how the landscape forms, anytime you have a new thing like everyone's moving to virtual, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Um, a virtual summit or, or conference is usually over several days and maybe has, you know, anywhere from 10 to, you know, 400 speakers. <laughs> but it's all, it's how it's managed. The larger conferences, they really, really needed to sort of reproduce what they do on a, on a virtual set. Um, and, and I've actually participated in a few of those events as speakers as well. Um, the other types of events that are happening out there are quite different though. There's just the coffee chat in the morning, uh, or, or if you want to, you know, happy hour in the afternoon, there are, um, things, uh, what, is, what do they call those AMAs? Ask me anything's. Um, there are, uh, interviews just like this. There are so many different formats that that was, I think the biggest advantage I had was being able to say, all right, what is it about CX talks that makes it unique and special? And, and how do we, how do we not necessarily do a full day event on a webinar or a conference, but rather I'm thinking in terms of programming, uh, having a regularly scheduled weekly or even bi-weekly program like a like a channel like a tv channel or radio program if you will but since it's recorded with video we would have people come to the thing um and it would be a very short presentation that's where our that's where we started and that's where we're, we're sticking to so the idea of short attention span theater is the idea of 15 minutes of fame you got to get it in within uh, say 15 minute 20 minute total presentation and then we have q a we do some networking around it as well because that's a huge reason. You know, why should I go there now versus just watch some recording? So we wanted to have some engagement opportunities for people who attend live. Um, so before we ever give the presentation, there's like 20 minutes of, of uh, you know, chats, if we will. And then at the end of each session, we have another 30 minutes of guided networking where we can have breakout rooms and smaller video conferences going on uh, right after the, the uh, main session. So all in all, the, the, the value of, of waiting is you get to position yourself more clearly. Uh, you're not just replicating what you did before. You're trying to 
come up with a voice that people understand and recognize and that they want to tune into each week. And I think the the other benefit is we're not moving totally, you know, we, we just can't meet now, but when we will meet again, uh, I think that we're going to be in a strong position to still have that, um, the local market on a very small local uh, intimate group. So, you know, maybe a hundred total people will come, but we're going to do a lot more markets. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. And I, I mean, I have to, I, I agree, like some of the early, I attended a few early virtual conferences and honestly didn't see the difference between that and me just either watching TV all day or just watching YouTube or, or something like that. It was really, you know, obviously a lot of people were trying to find their way and, and, and make some value. But I, I like what you said about the, the networking component as well. I just, just to follow up on that one before mm-hmm. we talk a little bit more about the future, like how, how have you deemed that, you know, is it, do you think it was successful? Are there some other things that you might do differently on that part? Cause I do think, you know, that is why people go to, um, it's, it's a big reason at least why people go to events is that they can go and meet new people and, and experience something firsthand versus again, just kind of watching a Ted talk on, on YouTube or, or something like that. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting. There, it, it's totally voluntary. You know, if people want to do it or not. But when you when you go through something like speed networking, right? Um, yeah. I've, I've attended a few of those types of events, and they've been really interesting because um, there's a couple of them that are are weekly, but they get maybe four or five hundred people each week, and they do a really good job because they'll break everyone out into small groups, and then. You you only have like six people in your breakout room, and you can talk for like fifteen minutes about a specific topic, and then you're put back into the pool. <laughs> yeah, and then you're mixed up with another another six people, right? Um, I'm constantly looking at, and I think that the the technology is constantly changing as well around the engagement area. Um, you know, on a Zoom call, you can chat. You have the chat function. You can have Q&A. Those are a little bit passive because there's no voices involved, right? There's no personality other than, well, maybe if you can type personality out. Um, But there are other tools that are out there that I constantly am looking at that can do things like have um, engagement with a community or even ongoing uh, engagement, even if you're watching a recording, if you put in some sort of comments, uh, that can be automatically sent to the speaker presenters to answer. So, yeah. you know, even if it's a year from now, <laughs> you can still yeah, have yeah, kind of comments point. going on, right? And being notified of those types of things, too. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, people who come, they, they may or may not be open to meeting other people or just putting their contact info out there. So you have to do it in a way that allows people to say, yes, I'll, I'll give my LinkedIn contact info, but I'm not going to give you my email address or phone yet, right? Yeah if, yeah. if they want to meet, they can meet. There's also software that you can meet one-on-one in, in the systems. That's uh, like their third-party software kind of thing versus within the Zoom format. And so I've looked at those types of things, but I don't want to just detract from our program with having people go off and, talk with each other while we're doing one of our um, presentations or, or talk. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at those things still. And uh, again, I have the luxury to sort of play with it, but I don't want to 
confuse people by saying, oh, go to this website while you're in here and watch this. <laughs> right, right. That's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, conflicting instructions or expectations. Yeah. 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 Use, yeah. Use, your, use your app on, on the phone to you know, communicate with us while we're watching. <laughs> right, right. No, that, that makes sense. Well, yeah, so let's, let's talk a, go a little in the future now. And obviously things are going to be the way they are for, for a bit and hopefully not any longer than they need to, but you know, we're, we're kind of where we are for, for a little while at least. Um, but you know, what kind of lessons can we learn from these times? So, I mean, let's say, um, you know, let's say, you know, once we're able to do in-person events on a regular basis, what can we learn from these times that might make those events better? Um, so in that area, I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation uh, just because it's forced innovation. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. and, and some of the cooler things I've seen, um, they're just out of my budget, but some of the cooler things I've seen almost go back to the old school days of uh, when we had communities that had avatars and you could like move them around and there were 3D in an environment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, you know, there was games like this a lot, a lot of games. Right. Um, and so now I've seen a few different um, virtual venues set up and everything from like a giant uh, festival for music festival with six stages to go to and vending and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, but you're, you, you are a, you know, virtual little uh, avatar and you can move it around on the, in the room and have it dance or whatever. Right. Um, and, and that's also being done to sort of replicate the large conference environment. So you go into the main hall and it looks like a hall, you know, <laughs> there's this video at the top. So it's almost like going into a movie theater, but you can talk to people and you can actually stand next to someone and introduce yourself and so forth. So, yeah. so that's pretty fun. I think it's fun engagement and it has its place. Uh, almost more for entertainment, though, than like serious content. The other, the other things I think that are going to happen, it, it just has to do with formatting and how we engage, right? So one of the big things in dealing with any kind of big program like that is multi, multicasting. So you got to cast it out on YouTube and your own website and on yeah. uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever you can get the multi-stream going. Um, so more and more of that's going to happen where people can sort of jump in from any point, but whether they're interacting or not is going to be, uh, filtered by that. So in other words, if I'm doing a webinar, uh, there are some tools that can bring comments and things from like YouTube back to you as you're doing it live. <laughs> yeah. But if you're multicasting out on all these different platforms, it's really hard to keep up with. And I think that's going to be improved over time as well. The other so do you, oh yeah go ahead. I was just going to say the other the other thing I've seen that's kind of fun is there's more and more of the um, well bringing in swag and, and other things to the house in preparation for a online event um, to try to get some of that enthusiasm excitement that we used to have about you know getting coffee mugs <laughs> and right, right. sunglasses and such you know you know I had a, I did one and I, I received this really nice box of stuff and I was like yeah okay. Yeah. It made me feel like I was a part of the deal. Right, right. So do you see um, do you see some organizations continuing virtual events instead of physical events? You know, even even when it's when it's possible to do as many physical as, events as you as you want to. I mean, do you see some of these virtual things 
becoming, you know, staying around in other words, and, and they're being kind of like a hybrid between, um, you know, what the, the schedule might be a hybrid of virtual and and, in person. Yeah. I don't think it's going to completely replace, um, uh, hybrids probably more likely. There are different needs to do different things online. Okay. And for instance, if you're doing product demos or you're doing sales calls or, you know, presenting whatever it is, business type things, um, you know, that's going to happen all the time online. Um, Continuously. I mean, you can go <laughs> just yeah. sign up for training and that kind of stuff. You can do that easier online than you can um, in person. The things people do crave—they're high touch. They're very—it's—it's—and—it's. Um, it's, and, and it's, we go to these conferences because it's not necessarily just the content, but who can I meet and and you know, do I have an opportunity to meet someone here I can further my business, whether it's a new vendor or a new client. You know, that's the main reason you go. And frankly, a lot of that activity happens outside of the programming, usually at, at the bar you know, or at a restaurant yeah, or yeah. wherever, you know. <laughs> um, so you try to try to build your community and help them get the content they want, but yet provide that sort of, you know, opportunity to to meet each other as real world as we can make it. Now, I think personally, you know, when, when we do get uh, over this COVID situation, and we're allowed to meet again. People are going to come back in droves. Um, you know, they, they, people really do miss that high touch. Um, as a musician, I've been playing some here in Atlanta in very you know uh, safe conditions like outdoors and such. And the people are incredibly appreciative now, more so of music even than they were you know before. Uh, yeah. Although you know before we'd have big crowds, but now they're they're uh, they're coming and paying attention and, and doing tips and things just because they appreciate being you know out again uh, yeah, yeah. And, and i think that you know th there was an old uh, old uh, philosopher guy media philosopher named marshall McLuhan, and uh, i think it was back in the 60s 70s he as we have more high tech come into our lives we crave more high touch so mm -hmm. that high tech high touch balance um uh, it's gonna be a more interplay than 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 we imagine could you imagine going through this epidemic or the pandemic without having the web? Right. right. <laughs> I, no, I cannot for what it's worth. Yeah. 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 So if you turn it on its head, it's like, no, it's not, you know, always going to have the web now, you know, it's part of our lives. Um, but it's, it's, it's the format and, and the idea of meeting. Um, I, from, from my point of view as a meeting organizer, event organizer, I stay in touch with the news somewhat. The big, big conferences are, are going to have a real trouble coming back, just like the big con uh, concerts and sporting events. Um, it's going to be the smaller uh, things that are going to have to happen and yeah. people, people less willing to travel um, too. So, you know, if you can bring together people locally, I'll drive to a place and then I want to make sure there's safe, um, safety things in place, distancing and all that. Um, but even then, you know, you, you, when, when I did a survey, for instance, I did a survey on what kind of formats you might want to have, and both for in person and um, online. And it was it was almost laughable because around fifty percent of my sample wanted to start meeting soon, uh, like fourth quarter this year, and uh, saw no problem with getting together without wearing masks and or any kind of distancing. 
The other 50% said, no way. <laughs> We're not going to go there until there's, you know, some sort of something. The earliest is going to be like, you know, s- spring of uh, 2021 or whenever we get a vaccine. So, you know, there are, there are lots of different kinds of people out there. There are lots of different formats and ways to meet. Um, and, and I think that the anything we do virtual is going to support that in-person meeting even more. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Agreed. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. When we talked earlier, uh, we talked a bit about your background as an entrepreneur and, and your, your business background. And you said there really hasn't been a time when you weren't an entrepreneur. So how do you think that set you up to be agile and adaptive as a, as a business owner? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been through a few of these, uh, uh, tragedies, so to say national tragedies. Um, the, uh, I guess the drive for me to be an entrepreneur started when I was a teenager, really. Um, I grew up, my dad had an ad agency, but I, I just did odd jobs for him, but kind of helped me understand he moved from public television to advertising. And I saw, you know, lifestyle changes. I saw things like, you know, he was able to work from home, even back in those days when home wasn't cool to work in. <laughs> right. Now, now everyone's in on it. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I, I started my first company. Um, actually, uh, when I got to school, I was playing music to, to get through school. And uh, a friend of mine approached with a magazine, so I started helping him with that. Um, sold the magazine and I'd made more in school than I was getting offered when I got out. <laughs> so that's a good spot to be, I guess. But I was like, um, okay, I might as well go ahead and start another company. Right. So my first one, uh, right when I graduated, uh, was an ad agency. Uh, I had a market research division. We did pretty good. Um, we were doing broadcast advertising and things like that. Grew fairly quickly and we did about two million the first year and um you know like 21 22 years old <laughs> so i'm like yeah um so we got some publicity and stuff and it was a cool brand i called the ad shop um uh, it, and what happens is is as far as agility and stuff i mean with an ad agency you're only as good as your clients and sometimes those clients um are, are great and sometimes they're not so great so we had one client that was really big and they uh, went bankrupt um, they had, yeah, they had some kind of fraud happening in the company and anyhow, um, had to deal with that at age like 24, <laughs> Wow, uh, you know, owing like millions of dollars all of a sudden you're like, Oh like, no, you know, so that, that helped me understand, you know, what I liked and didn't like about that business. So I ended up, we ended up being equal with everyone. We, we negotiated with all the media and got some payments out of the client, um, and then, you know, you move on. But I decided at that point, I didn't really care for the advertising business because I didn't want to be a bank again. Um, back in those days, you bought the media and then the client paid you and then you paid the media and you That's made right. percentages. Um, I didn't want to do that again. So I said, uh, let's do research. I really enjoy that. Anyhow, it's more like strategy and voice of customer and stuff. And these are all the this old school days back in the 80s. You know, we didn't have internet and all that yet. So... As I moved into that field, I grew that company pretty solidly for about 20, 25 years, had a bunch of employees, and we were doing work all over all over the world. Um, and then not, I'd started another business in the trade show industry back in the 90s, late 90s, 
And it was taking off nicely. I'd, I'd done so much work for my clients at trade shows. They you know, wanted to intercept people and do interviews there or, or bring them in for focus groups or whatever. Because a, B, a B2B trade show um, at the time, particularly in the computer or technology fields, you'd have 30,000, 40,000 people of your target audience. So they're gathered for like three days. You know, <laughs> yeah. So um, it made a lot of sense for us to, to, and to my clients to, to try to talk to those people while they're there, particularly if they're hard to reach people like, you know, ophthalmologists or something, right? So um, we actually, I, I reached out and, and contacted some of the uh, venue management and learned that whole landscape um, around it because I, I, I had a lot of resistance from the, the show organizers to do research at their event. They were like, nope, you can do it in the client's booth and that's it, or you can buy a booth and, and we're sold out. And I was like, well, I can't really do this for my client. My client's IBM. <laughs> they don't want anyone to know it's IBM doing it. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, how do I do this? So I, I, we ended up renting a restaurant like across the street from the convention center. Rented the whole restaurant out, bought everyone lunches just to interview them, right? <laughs> we got our job. But the guy who ran that show actually sent me a letter and said we'd arrest anyone on site from my company if we were if we were inside the venue at the, at the conference center. So, I, you know, I waited a little bit and I reached out to him later. I said, hey, I'd like to come meet with you and talk and figure out what's going on. He goes, he's kind of gruff, but I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. So I flew up to Washington and met this guy and uh, just turned out he just didn't really get it. You know? And I was like, look, there's a real opportunity to just talk to people who come to these events um, for, and there's a lot of money and your clients want to do this. So, you know, after, after a little bit of convincing and coaching, he agreed. And then after he agreed, I opened up like, you know, maybe I think it was like 15 major event organizers, trade show organizers. That oh. thing was taken off like a rocket and, and everyone's holding on for it. Right. And a whole nother staff involved, different buildings involved, new company and offices in other markets. And so then what happened, unfortunately, 9-11 hit and it, there were no more trade shows. I mean, it was the end of the end of the big era trade shows. And, and frankly, every trade show uh, and even conference was canceled for travel restrictions uh, until at least uh, the next summer. I mean, they, there was fall was dead, spring was dead, everything, you know, and so... I kept my staff on trying to keep them there and, and, and uh, lost a ton of money, which is, you know, it, it was the least, uh, least of the things. But again, you learn how to pivot. So I yeah. said at that time, I said, you know, I, I gave it a shot at my big empire building. I'm going to build my next company more around me. <laughs> I didn't want to have to deal with a $250,000 a month overhead again, ever. Right, right. You know, yeah, <laughs> and all the people and their, you know, what whatever they need, etc. So I pivoted. I said, let me sell off the things in this company I don't need to do anymore, like the mystery shopping and you know most of the survey research type stuff, and uh, focusing on the qualitative research, which is what I love to do. So I did that, and uh, you know, sold those companies off and was able to get back to even again, and uh, have been doing qualitative research since. And along the way, I started up trade associations for different areas of marketing research. 
for mobile researchers, mobile using mobile devices. There's the Mobile Market Research Association, the Mystery Shopping Professionals Association, which is all the companies that hire shoppers, as well as shoppers around the world. And then there's also, uh, I didn't start this one, but I was on the board, and that's a Qualitative Research Consultants Association. So I'm a big believer in associations because um, I don't feel real competitive. I don't feel like I have trade secrets and things like that. And, you know, it's a matter of relationships. It's a matter of understanding. And I think there's enough work out there for everyone if we just um, help each other instead of try to, you know, uh, go to war with each other, so to say. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's a great that's a great philosophy. I t- totally agree with that as well. I think you know, I've always felt like there's 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 plenty of work to go around if you're doing the right thing. And um, no, that's 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 great to hear. Well, uh, Mark, thanks for joining the show. Um, for those listening, what's the best way to keep up with what you're doing and, and connect with you? Sure. Well, LinkedIn is, is always available. It's it's, it's Mark Michelson, M-I-C-H-E-L-S-O-N. And, uh, you know, if you want to connect with me there, that's that's always a good way. We can chat and things. Um, if you would, if anyone's interested in our programs uh, and what we do at CX Talks, then it's just cxtalks.org. Great, great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Mark Michelson, CEO of CX Talks, for joining the show. To learn more about both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, the Center of Experience from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.